Jesus. Can we not do that again? What on earth was that getting arrested? And what was that like? I mean, the whole... Can you talk about that? We try not to do too much endorsements on here about... <laughs> What's it? Yeah, well, I think it's it's topical, so... <laughs> Max, are we happy with Madge saying... Wait, what did I say? <laughs> what have I said? Right, you've lost that. <laughs> you've lost that privilege. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another Sunday Roast. This time we're back with two wonderful guests, a regular of the show and a new one. Um, Graham, can you tell us a, a bit about yourself? Yeah, hi, uh, Max. Um, thanks for inviting me on. I am Graham Smith, CEO of Republic, the anti-monarchy campaign, and uh, one of the eight who were arrested on the day of the coronation, and also author of a new book called Abolish the Monarchy, uh, why we should and how we will. Wonderful. Uh, we'll get to a lot of interesting questions in just a little bit. Uh, Big Madge, can you tell us about yourself for anyone who's new they, to the show? They already know. There's no introduction needed. They already <laughs> know. I've got enough appearances on the show. As you know, Big Madge Studios is my channel. Uh, thanks for having me back on again, guys. I really appreciate it. Great to have you back. Thanks, Alex, Rick. my wonderful co-host, can you tell us about yourself? Hi, I'm Alex. I'm a YouTuber known as Political X, and I'm a historian and author and all around try to be a do-gooder. My wonderful co-host, Max, can you introduce yourself, please? Thank you very much. My name is Max. I run the Robespierre channel where I talk about British politics and Brexit in particular. So our main topic for today is the monarchy. Alex, do you have a question for Graham about the monarchy? I'm hearing that the polls are collapsing, Graham. Yes, indeed. So we've um, last week's Savannah poll came out asking the uh, question of which do you prefer, monarchy or, or an elected head of state? And for the first time that I can remember, the monarchy was under 50% on 48 and the elected head of state was on 34%. So a much narrower gap and that passing that really important threshold of 50% on the, on the way down. Um, and uh, today, in fact, we've just published a poll commissioned through YouGov, which puts them on 45%. So that's two polls asking the same question within a space of about 10 days. Um, and yeah, the, um, the polling is pretty damning. The people are simply losing interest and now turning, turning against it. And in fact, all of the age groups under the age of 50 are now um, below 50%. So it's not just young people, it's all the young groups under the age of 50 are now um, below 50%. And some of those groups are, there are more Republicans than others. Um, uh, there's none of them that are actually majority, over 50% on our side, but it is shifting in our favour. We're going to have a huge shift, aren't we? We could be back in the EU with a proportional representation and an elected head of state in the, <laughs> the next decade and the way things are going. Madge, what are your thoughts on all this? What, are you shocked by these polls? Isn't the money I mean, just lovely and rosy and clean and fun? I, I don't get to quote this often, but in the words of Nate Diaz... Hey, I'm not surprised. I, I am not surprised at all, because honestly, right... You know, like with with the Queen, at least I think she had a lot more presence about her. And I feel like people liked her a lot more. She looks like a grandma figure with Charles. He's just, you know, with that, that scene with the fountain pen when he's showing someone off. It looked very ugly, and um, he's never been that popular with the whole situation with his uh, wife Camilla or whatever she is to him. 
Um, it's just not, it's not good. I think optics is just really bad. And um, there's not many redeeming qualities of him, to be honest. I think, like, not in a mean way, but like, there was a lot of racism allegations. Well, the palace is said to be furious after Prince Charles was revealed as the royal who asked about Archie's skin colour. Bro, what are you doing? Like, oh. that's, you know, like, you know, your first concern, especially as a grandparent should be, is their kid going to be, like, healthy and stuff? They're going to be okay? Not, oh, yeah, what shade are they going to be? Like, oh, dumbass. Like, <laughs> it just don't, it don't make sense. Oh, you can censor that one if you want YouTube. Yeah. I, don't care about. I mean, the queen, it, the, queen, the queen was the the real deal in most people's eyes, yeah. you know, and she, she had been around for longer than most of us can remember. And, um, you know, she was the monarchy. And now we, and most people have never seen that transition. And a lot of people are like, hang on a minute, I was okay with it before, but now that I've seen you just walk in and take this job, that doesn't feel right. And he just, and he doesn't have that, you know, um, that sort of, he just seems like a bloke in a suit chancing his arm, you know, and, and who the hell is he, you know? And, and I think we've played a part in that to some extent by introducing all these protests, which have become, sort of connected to his reign so you know we did some protests when queen the queen was around but almost immediately that he became king people started protesting uh small protests in the week after the uh, she died and then it started ramping up um, at the start of last year and that's a new phenomenon for people to see you know very visible yellow protests wherever charles is going and that suddenly made i think a lot of people go oh hang on a minute this is something we can not like it's okay to be against it and to protest against it yeah so um and, and there might be a reason why they're doing that so let's find let's find out and engage with this so yeah it's um what's also interesting is that the polling is showing a big jump in the number of don't knows so the YouGov was 24 percent don't know as to which one they prefer now they've shifted from liking the monarchy to don't know and that that means that they they've gone off the monarchy they're certainly questioning it and they haven't yet really grasp what the alternative is so that's the the big challenge now is to really sell the alternative is something which is bigger than just changing the head of state um and which kind of reflects what i think is now the prevailing mood which is sort of caught up in what you were saying before about you know everything changing and they pr and eu and whatever but i think it's, it, it's sort of shifting to a more um progressive liberal sort of uh sentiment in the country that's what I think is going on. And we saw you got polled today that um, it put the Tories on 20%, but for the under 50s, again, that same bracket, 10%. I mean, that is devastating for the Tories. And it is very, um, uh, it tells a similar picture of this kind of um, tectonic shift in the way people are thinking about things. Did you see that they shut down the young conservatives? It's gone. Really? They ran out of 50 year olds to uh, start. <laughs> young looking 50 year olds, yeah. <laughs> there, there was a guy from the young conservatives interviewed. Uh, I, I know we're going a bit off topic here, but um, he was pretty upset about how the, the Tories have not done anything about housing. So, yeah. um, Graham, I, I, was, I just wanted to ask you a question. For, um, in, in, a similar, in a similar way to Brexit, is it, is it the case that there's less support for the monarchy but that doesn't automatically translate into people wanting a president yeah i mean it, it, there is a lot of engagement that needs to happen for people to really think about it and most people don't think about it and don't care i mean the most common response i get from people when i just sort of you know chat to them casually uh whoever i meet wherever um is and i tell them what i do and they're like yeah but i don't really care you know 
which is useful for us in a sense because I can persuade them more than people who go, no, I love to queen. That will change when this becomes a much bigger debate. And we saw this both with Brexit and Scotland. Um, I mean, as, as I said, we've got over 30% saying that they would prefer an elected head of state. Now, independence in Scotland was around 30% at the time they called the referendum. And it rapidly went up to 50%, dropped back slightly and they lost, but it went up. And Brexit was around 30% for a long time. Um, and then rapidly went up and, and tipped over 50%. So um, the debate can make a huge difference. And there's, but yeah, we're, we're talking about ramping up our campaign and, and carrying on. I mean, we had a spectacular year last year in terms of income and members and, you know, we've got a bigger team now and all the rest of it. And if we can just shift that polling a little bit closer, and even if we can get neck and neck, then, you know, the, the pressure to actually do something about it is just going to keep building. It's, it seems inevitable, doesn't it, to be honest? I mean, there's too many controversial things happening. Epstein yeah. is not going to go away. We will be talking about that. That's not going to go away. I mean, the videos seem to be out there. Everyone, yeah. there's, we've got witnesses saying they've seen, which is yeah. which is shocking. But we'll, we'll we'll stick with the polling and everything else. What would you what would you rather have? I'm going to throw this over to Max. Max, because obviously in Ireland there is a president. In Italy, there's a president. Yeah. What would you What would you rather have, Max? Yeah, I, I think a president, um, an elected president, um, one actually elected by the people. And so there there are you know the the presidents that are elected by by the Senate or by the Parliament or whatever. But yeah. I, I think it directly. A directly elected president would would be the best, um, but also I, I like the idea of a symbolic president, not so much a political one, um, right. like like the like the, is is in the Republic of Ireland, um, in Ireland. Sorry, is is Britain ready for that? Do you think, Graham? Yeah, I think so, and I think that, that but again, it's about. I think that they are, but they they don't hear enough of this debate, and this is one of the things we've been saying about in response to these polls is that. The media need to have a more honest and uh, frank debate about these issues. And the BBC, particularly the broadcasters, particularly need to start to realise that this is no longer, you know, the 1980s or the 1970s or the 1950s. And they need to, you know, catch up and, and um, start changing the way they deal with this uh, issue. And people will engage with it and will change their mind. Now, I've done quite a few live debates where I see within the space of an hour and a half or an hour, people change their mind. Um, in our favour, so people do engage with it and do change their mind. And I, no, so last year um, uh, I did a debate at the start of the year, which is in some kind of literary fest, uh, literary um, group in North London. Uh, about a hundred people in the room, mostly retired people. And when we started, they did a vote, and it was about twenty-five of them were on our side, a few don't knows, and majority on the other side. At the end of the evening, they did a vote, and we had 52 of them on our side. And then about seven months later, I did Exeter University, where there's about 140 people. And they allow you to, when they do the vote at the start, they also allow you to vote to abstain. So they say there's roughly 50-50-40 split, so 50 for and against and 40 abstaining. And at the end of the evening, there were 93 on our side. So people engage with it, they listen, they change. And part of it is because they kind of get that the monarchy is a is a tough sell. It doesn't help that the people that are selling it are not particularly, um, they don't do a great job. They're, they're all these odd sort of royal commentators just don't, don't really um, understand where the country's at. Um, they can't afford and, to. Uh, they? Sorry? they can't afford to. It's their income. This is the thing that I always see that 
coming out of it is the fact that these these royal commentators that's yeah. part of their bread and butter writing autobiographies and everything else yes i yes. remember is it amy roback for cnn had the epstein story three years ahead yeah of everyone else yeah she, she did an interview she was she was really pissed off about it as well because they uh, the royal family killed the story I, i've had the story for three years i've had this interview with virginia roberts we would not put it on the air um first of all i was told who's jeffrey epstein no one knows who that is this is a stupid story um then the palace found out that we had her whole allegations about prince andrew and threatened us a million different ways um we were so afraid we wouldn't be able to interview kate and will that we that also quashed the story the level of power and it comes back to what you were saying with the media i there's yep. only four big media outlets they <clears throat> stuck in a the conservatives stuck in a chair which bright which through some very dodgy dealing which was an eight hundred thousand pound loan from one of the cons the chair of the BBC loaned Boris Johnson yeah. eight hundred grand, which is insane, and then got the position, and then the other three big barons who run about I think it's somewhere in the region of seventy to eighty seven percent of the media. None of them live in the UK, and they don't pay taxes. And then on top of that, they're obviously easily swayed in one direction that suits their yeah. purpose. I mean, I think the press is less of an issue because the press will follow the audience to a large extent. Um, and also, I mean, you, we sort of got a free press. I mean, it's not free in the sense that it's controlled by a few oligarchs, but I mean, it's free. it should be free in the sense that they can, they can say what they want. But um, but they will eventually follow the the audience. So they have, they smell where, where this is going. They'll switch at some point. But the the BBC is the bigger problem because a they you know that's where most people get their news. Um, and even if they get it from newspapers, that's where they get it confirmed, and that's where uh, that's the source that most people trust. Um, and their um, failure on this issue is, you know, extraordinary. Um, they really just don't get it that they are being uh, biased and deferential. And I mean, the stuff they, you know, headline news. The two top stories yesterday for most of the day was Charles going into hospital next week was top story, and the next story was Kate being in hospital. And lots of witchery. Sorry, how, how did Charles get into hospital so quickly? Did Is there not like a waiting list? <laughs> He's going private. <laughs> Pri private? How, yeah. How is that possible? <laughs> well, I know. Believe in the NHS? No. He, um, yeah, he uh, dodged a massive uh, 600 million tax bill 18 months ago. So um, he's got plenty of money. So, um, uh, <laughs> yeah. Isn't it? Isn't it funny, though? You brought it. I hadn't tweaked this. Those two have gone into hospital, right? Yeah. Kate and Charlie Boy. But aren't they both the two people that claim to make it's been claimed that the racist comments were made by? Yeah, I don't know whether there's <laughs> any connection, but I, mean... I don't know whether racism makes you unwell or anything, but um, <laughs> but um the um yeah, I mean it's just weird because the, the thing that Charles has gone into is it's incredibly common. Uh but most um guys of that age who have that prostate problem they're on massively long waiting lists you know and they're putting up with all sorts of difficulties and you know pain and whatever because of that uh and so all they're really doing again i was, I was talking to a colleague about this earlier most people don't care about the monarchy and so when they're in the news all the time it kind of doesn't help them because it just annoys an awful lot of people and when they're in the news with this it's like well yeah, okay, we get it. People get ill. Why are you banging on about it? Like they are more important than us. And why are you telling us that they are just going straight into hospital for something which I'm still on a waiting list for 18 months later? So I think it's really not going to help them. Um, and I don't think there's going to be much sympathy because they 
you know, if they were told, okay, no, he's got cancer and he might not live, then people would be sympathetic. And they're sympathetic in a basic sort of, you know, wishing well, but then move on, don't care. Okay. Um, because yeah. we all have these problems. Can, Sorry, can I ask a question? No, I just wanted to ask a question. There, there isn't really a rational justification for a monarchy. Like, I'm, I'm just trying to think of justifications people present. It's really just something like, well, it's a feeling or tradition or something like that. It's because they're baked in and they've been there for a long time. And it's just, it's the way things have always been. That's that's the way people see it. It's the way things have always been. Why would we change it? And that's one of the mentality yeah. problems we have in this country. Um, it's, you know, what could replace them? You know, the idea that, you know, having a royal family stopped the spread of fascism in Britain. It's like, no, it didn't. We, we outlawed, like, I think it was the brown shirts. Like, we stopped them being able to operate. That's what, that's one of the things that stopped it. Yeah. You know, the monarch at the time didn't say, you guys knocked that off. In fact, the monarch who abdicated actually met Hitler, didn't he? Yeah. Um, after he abdicated, oh, yeah. he, he met yeah. he met Adolf, yeah. You know, he, so... he was a, he was a Nazi sympathizer, yeah. Yeah, so the argument of the royal family um, did anything to stop fascism is like doubt. Well, have you seen Prince Philip at the Nazi funeral at the front? Well, I think that? it's a bit more, but not not to defend Prince Philip, but I, I think there was a, um, it wasn't as clear as clear cut as that. No, because it was his cousins that were married over to Germans who were in high positions in the... It, the he had family process. in Greece that married into the Nazis. Um, yeah. Yeah, but there was a... Um, <laughs> there was a royal who I think was one of Victoria's sons who uh, moved to Germany to become like the Duke of somewhere. And all of that was abolished in 1918. But he stayed in Germany. And there's a... I think it's the funeral of... Um, was it George V or whatever in 1936? You see the old black and white. And there's this one guy with a kind of a German great coat and a German uh, helmet and that's the um, British royal who's come back for the funeral it's very odd it's a big so. context marker needed for that one um, so yeah let's uh, make sure that's there yeah. going back to the point about the rational justification I think there's a, a couple of things here which is that there's a brilliant quote from Tom Payne which he says that there's a, you know, a long habit of not thinking a thing wrong gives the impression of it being right and I think that an awful lot of people are just in this habit of thinking that it's good and it's part of what makes Britain work. And therefore they kind of do a, a, a post justification. And they, so they try and sometimes they try and find rational arguments to why it should be there. Um, so the, the best stab they have is sort of constitutional stuff about stability and uh, independence and impartiality. But none of that stacks up. I mean, it's all nonsense. Because they also they also try and argue the queen generates a lot of money through people coming to buckingham palace and things like that but it's like they're not here to see the queen they're here to see the palace if i yep. rock up at buckingham palace tomorrow i try and go on to you know the areas i'm not meant to i'm getting arrested but you know if you look at some of the other places you know the former palaces um i went to i was lucky enough to go to germany once and sicilianoff palace you can go in there you pay like 12 euros or something like that and it's mm. it's stunning it's absolutely yes. stunning and and you know that that's me actually that building's actually generating Versailles. income for Germany. Yeah, Palace of Versailles, beautiful from yes. what I've seen in the pictures. I mean, you don't um, have to go overseas. I mean, Tower of London is um, yeah. far more popular and far more impressive. And in fact, the the um, uh, the opening chapter of my book is actually about, it starts off with tourism. And I talk about the fact that I took my nephews around Buckingham Palace and had previously a few weeks later, earlier gone around Tower of London. And Buckingham Palace as a tourist um, destination is really, really dull. Because, um, and there's actually, there's a guy, you probably, you probably heard of him, I can't remember his name, but he does a lot of history YouTube, he has like a history YouTube channel. And he, he said it, he doesn't normally do reviews, but not that long ago, he went, he took his, um, or him and his wife went to Buckingham Palace, 
and he was just raging about how awful it was in his, as a tourist experience, <laughs> how badly they were treated, how little there is to look at. Because they, A, they don't want to tell you all the history of the royals because it's not something which they necessarily want to share. So all you do is you go around with one of those audio things and it just sort of lists off how many teacups they have and how many dining rooms they have. And, you know, it says this is the dining room and it's used to entertain guests, which seems like a fairly obvious observation. But um, so, yeah, it's, it's dreadful on that score as well. But there's no... But the tourism thing is complete nonsense. And but again, that is something which has emerged over the last 30, 40 years because people are realizing that the the old sort of feudal values are sort of disappearing. And so you have to justify it by, you know, what money's going in your pocket. And that is not really watching anymore. I think the whole tough thing is wearing thin as well. Of we like, you know, people who talk to you to speak well, you know, mog types. I think that kind of love of that kind of character is dying off when people realize they're not actually that smart and they have no idea what they're doing. The only thing yeah. is they speak the Queen's English. Well, I guess it'll be the King's English. That's about it. But, you know, you realise there's not much else there. So I think the love of that character is dying. Um, the only problem I, I see is uh, I think people in this country, in England, love pantomime. They love the theatre of it. And mm. Parliament is very theatrical because of the royal family, the the scepter thing and whatever other nonsense happens around that. Like the whole idea you need royal assent to pass a law. It's like it's all formalities because you know, yeah. the King's not going to say, I mean, you're signing that. You know, he, but it, you get a crisis. I mean, no one ever sees him do that because he doesn't actually yeah. do it in person. So he, he sort of hands over the power and the, some people in. It's, a, it's um, an e-signature, um, an electronic one. Yeah. <laughs> but they, um, but again, I, 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 I'm not entirely. I mean, I think to some extent people like it, but I, I get tired of this idea that we, you know, this idea that Britain does, no one does pomp and pageantry as well as we do. I mean, it just isn't true. And, um, no, we were protesting at the uh, state opening of Parliament. Now, if you're outside, it, A, there's hardly anyone there to watch it, and B, it's just really weird and boring. I mean, you, you're standing there, there's long stretches of nothing, and then a carriage goes past with a few horses either side. Um, and one of the first carriages is, is got two footmen with the crown on a cushion in the middle. So the crown itself gets its own carriage, and then there's like some junior royal, and then there's the king, and then there's some other junior royals. And then they just sweep past and go in. And the bit in the inside is just bizarre and, again, not particularly interesting. And it's a very powerful symbol of uh, the state, you know, with us in our place because it's the king and all the people in their ermine robes, the the, the lords, and you can barely see the politicians who are sat at the back. Um, so it's really not a good look. It's an obscene display of wealth. Like I remember one of the American commentators I used to watch saying, talking about the... Uh... Queen's speech saying, oh, you know, this person talking about how we need to tighten our belts is like, look at you with your gold crown and your gold scepter yeah. and your gold piano and your gold throne. Yeah. It's like, okay, buddy. Like, yeah, you know, let's, let's really, yeah. you know, let's really kick up, you know, poverty. Let's really push poverty because you need to have all your nice things. It, it, yeah. doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Like, especially when you see the Queen's speech when it's in that context. But, yeah. Graham, I just, yeah, just to follow on that, from that, do you think that the cost of living has really driven down support for the monarchy? I think it's certainly been a, a big factor in the sense that, as um, it was just said about, you know, this, this contrast between their wealth and their, where everybody's at. And I think this is also feeding into the fact that um, the evidence is that uh, younger people, as they're getting older, are not getting more conservative because they just, they, you know, we, we've had now, what, 16 years since the um, crash of 28, 2008. And since then, it's just been... Um, cuts and austerity and cost of living crisis with um, COVID thrown in, in the middle of it all and people are struggling to buy homes and they're struggling to um, make ends meet and 
you know, homelessness is going up and you know, food banks are out of control and all the rest. Of it. So, yeah, I think that is really, really um, uh, striking. And the problem is, that going back to the point I made earlier, that the Queen is the monarchy and they would people would forgive her an awful lot and they would push all the blame down the line. Now, either it was usually staff or flunkies or whatever, they were at fault for whatever went wrong, or it was one of the other royals. Um, but people were happy to criticise Charles. But now Charles is on the throne. He's the one that can get criticised. It's OK to criticise them. Um, and they're, they're really floundering because they also then want to think, well, OK, we, we need to be relevant. And so they go out and talk about the environment whilst flying around in private helicopters. He's been criticised for using private jets. So launching an eco-tourism project in Amsterdam seemed bizarre. And then William uses big issue sellers as props for his PR. And there's one guy that he's now met three times in these PR things saying, oh, yeah, this is my mate we met last year. So well, why is he still selling Big Issue? And why don't you give him a room in one of your palaces? You know, or a job as a footman or something. You know, he's clearly not your mate. Um, and I think people are really kind of getting slightly tired of their, their PR nonsense. I don't, yeah, don't think I, it works. I think their PR is horrible. You know, the, the royal family is that toxic that Harry'd rather spend time in Afghanistan and then leave the royal family because the way they treated his <laughs> wife. Like, dude's like, I'll go fight, I'll go fight the Taliban. Like, I ain't dealing with you and this nonsense. And like the way they dealt with uh, Meghan Markle was just really bad. And the fact that it was very leaky for the first time in a long time, it's very leaky. That stuff was getting out. They were briefing yeah. against each other, and we could see how ugly it was and how much the media had a strangle. Uh, the, the royal family had a stranglehold on the media. I think the mask kind of slipped there really badly. And they're not good at PR. Like you said, you know, how are you like with the same homeless guy three years in a row? It doesn't make sense. Like you could change this man's life. If he was your friend, if he was your friend, would you not want to help him? Um, And I think people just see them as deeply unlikable. There's no redeeming qualities in in a lot of them in terms of personality wise, at least from what I read of Princess Diana, people actually liked her. You know, she did change, I think, the stigma around HIV, which is incredible for a member of the royal family to actually do that. You know, politicians were scared of that and she she did it. You know, she changed Mm -hmm. the conversation around that. What have the other ones achieved? Nothing. No, indeed. And this is the problem is that you do either fit in and you have to fit in with everything that they expect you to fit in with, or you no, hit the wall, like, um, uh, well, it's probably not the best choice of phrase, but you, you hit something uh, <laughs> with Diana and then of literally, but I mean, but then Meghan Markle figuratively and it all goes wrong. And, you know, neither of them were prepared to simply fit in. And it's very telling that the two women who are the most engaging and popular royals in the last 30 years are the two women that had to leave. Right. Yeah, and it's... It's funny as well because the racism thing. I mean, Piers Morgan. I think you were on a debate with him, weren't you, Piers Morgan? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. He's a right. Well, on the show, yeah. Yeah. He, oh, it's um... on um, Good Morning Britain, or was this? No, this is Talk no, TV. It's, um, Talk TV thing, yeah. You've, it's oh. you and Alex O'Connor that seem to pop yeah. up and go on there and smash him a new one. And it's really funny. There's a clip of him actually talking about Megan going in to a royal. This is Piers Morgan saying this. I think it was a load of clips, and he literally says. She's mixed race, she's American, she's a divorcee, actress. Those are four ticks. No member of the royal family, the senior members, ever thought they would see having to be ticked when it came to Harry's bride. Meghan's marrying into a family which has, to put it mildly, a dodgy track record on race. It's not Meghan Markle's problem, it's their problem. And then he's out on TV going, like, 
like a couple of years later going mm. i don't know anything about this racism like, and i quoted that line um in the book and i also quoted it at him on twitter and he blocked us but um yes i um, doesn't like snowflake. Snowflake. You know, he doesn't like being reminded of it but yeah he said uh, that he was in a documentary in the u.s and he said that uh megan is marrying into a family that let's face it has a problem with race um, and two years later, he was quoted saying, look, I, I've met all the royals and there's not a single racist uh, among them, you know. So uh, this Apart is... These Philip, people... who's, yeah. whose cousins the were in the Waffen SS, he was up I mean, in front of the funeral march and he has said, I mean, I don't even want to repeat what he said, but he's insulted the Chinese, the Australian yeah. Aborigines, the Scottish, people in Papua New Guinea, Indians. and Hungary and Ethiopia. And you're going, yeah. right, but he's not a racist with yeah. all that evidence. Yeah. Or, well, it was Edward as well. You, you know, he was, racism, out, he was a Nazi sympathizer. People argue the racism. You have to, you know, you don't know what's inside a person's heart when they say these things, you know. So, you know, maybe he just he just threw them out there. You know, you don't know what's in his heart. I mean, they, they are fairly, um, they're not particularly bright people. And they the also problem. live in these very strange um, cut off worlds. I mean, I talked about that uh, lady, um, Susan Hussey, who got into a lot of trouble just after the, um, Charles became king, where she was, I'd say, I forget the woman's name, the woman from this charity, and she kept on saying, where are you from? Where are you from? Yeah. Um, and a lot of that is because they just don't understand that you can't do that. And But it's very telling that if they meet a white person, the question famously is, what do you do? But if it's a non-white person, it's where are you from? Because they just can't compute. And Charles did exactly the same thing in 2018 when he met a woman who I think had um, Guyan uh, heritage, um, Anita Seti, and there's some Commonwealth thing. And he and she's from Manchester. So she, he said to her, where are you from? And she said, Manchester. And he said, well, you don't look like it, and laughed and walked on. You know, and that's Charles. So um, that didn't one. make the news quite so much because it was, I think, the, the gap between the two was that the Royals were very much centre stage in um, late 2022 and all of the racism stuff had come up through um, the Meghan Harry story and so all of a sudden this story breaks and everyone's on it. Um, but a lot of people's responses was to attack the person who had been... Uh, yeah, the, the, they, they, they said she lied. They said she lied, didn't she? And the, she did all sorts of other stuff. She yeah. made it up and it was taken out of context. And in the end, yeah. I think the person who asked her the questions resigned um, the, more, the yeah. most recent one. Yeah. It is ironic that we live in a capitalist country, um, which is meant to be a meritocracy, but then we have people with all these inbuilt advantages who you cannot question. And they're given all the wealth despite getting, you know, crappy grades at A-level. Mm. It's like... Okay, like we live in a meritocracy, then okay, I believe you. But yeah. Rishi Sunak well, did, I mean... did the same thing. Do you remember he was in the homeless shelter? What, what do you have? A, do you work in a business? Do you want some no, I'm, I'm homeless and I'm actually homeless. Almost identical to what the royal family did. It makes me wonder if that. Are like, you in you business? He said, What do you do for a business? And he's homeless. <laughs> he works in finance. Just, yeah, like what the. F but it. Do you know what? Even, even with Brexit, I, I sometimes look at it and go, do they just want us marrying our cousins? Are they that's that a royal family problem? Royal to family? be fair, is that is but that what they want? It wasn't there the son that came out and said uh, the queen backs Brexit or something like that, and the royal family went no dog, no, but they couldn't say it. That's the thing they couldn't say it publicly because they couldn't get put into policy, like be political. So oh, yeah. they got played by the son. I I gotta I, say you're not gonna like this, Graham. I gotta say there's a couple of good moments though. Queen coming out with that blue hat and the yellow stars. I mean, that was that was pretty funny. And I've got yeah. to give it to Charles on this one thing. You know, broken clock is right twice a day. 
uh, when he came out with the Greek tie, that was that was pretty funny actually. And then them going, oh yeah. no, it's it's just pure coincidence. It's like Did, yeah, he's hidden ties. <laughs> he's worn that tie before. Yeah, and his dad was Greek. So to what extent that was coincidence or whatever, I, it's very he, hard to know. But what what I would say to all these things is that we should not be trying to distill messages from our head of state through reading tea leaves. You know, if he wants to say something, say it. Or keep he did. Mouth. He yeah. did also mock Liz Truss, but we are paying millions of pounds for this man to make very subtle comments about the elected heads of state. You know, the people who you know did a lot more to earn their positions. We've got a man who was born into wealth and power making comments about the people we elected, you know, like, it's a bit, it's a bit weird that. I mean, you're in Italy. I've just been working, I've just finished a book I've written on Mussolini for A-level students. And he got kicked out by the king. Yeah. Um, uh, Well, actually, he had a vote from his grand council and then the king booted him out afterwards and I'm arrested. Um, But our king, don't want to call him that, Charlie Boy didn't do that. With Liz Truss, as soon as that had happened, you would have thought if he was actually going to use his position, he would have gone, right, general election now, you guys aren't operating correctly, let's sort the country. You wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily want, I mean, that that would be a, a departure from the sort of, uh, even the sort of republic, I mean, some republics you might be able to do that. But I mm-hmm. think that, I mean, the thing about the Italian king is, of course, yes, he booted out Mussolini, but he put him there in the first place 22 okay. years earlier. Well, we, um, could, we could we could debate that. I could debate yeah. that with you. Well, whether or not he did or I mean, didn't. I mean, and he, so he, he then sat there on the flexed his he huge sat there on the he sat there on the throne for twenty two years whilst Mussolini got on with whatever he was doing. So you know he could have. Um, he is not uh, an innocent party, and and of course there is a reason why the Italians really? then got rid of the monarchy. So yeah. uh, just as the Greeks got rid of it um, or confirmed the abolition of it uh, when they restored democracy, because their monarchies are just useless. Um, and this is the thing about the this notion that they are good for stability and defending against um, tyranny. They're not. Their number one purpose is to defend themselves against self-preservation. Everything else is secondary to it. I, 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 this is something that I, get, I also teach World War One, and it's yeah. really interesting because the German Kaiser, the Russian Tsar, and King George. Although we could debate King George and George's involvement, but they're all cousins. Pretty yeah. much all between the three of them kicked off World War One. We can talk about Austria and Serbia as well. Yeah. But one family just caused chaos. And a lot yeah. of historians will tell you that that, that was just a break. World War One and World War Two were pretty much one and the same thing. It was just yeah. a gap in the middle, like a half-time yeah. whistle. So it's quite interesting to see that that doesn't come up much. But they were clearly yeah. involved. And they were trying all three were sending letters and telegrams between each other, trying to calm yeah. the situation down. And you're going, right, so Queen Victoria's offspring went on a mad rampage and lugged the entire population in. And now yeah. we've got a we've been picking up the pieces ever since. Yeah. However you put it in terms of their personal responsibility, it was monarchies that um plunged us into conflict. And it was monarchies that were plunging us into conflict for centuries before then. Because so often it's about the self-aggrandizement of the monarch and not the interests of the people that uh, lived in those areas. I mean, if you look at the map of thing, places like Prussia and you understand that kind of weird construction of the Holy Roman Empire and the German states, these were not natural um, states. They were uh, constructions around a king. And it was all about what was good for them and what was you know, going to self-aggrandize their particular notion of who they were. Um, and they and there's this constant conflict, um, and 
yeah, that uh, there's a reason why most monarchies are now gone. There's a there's a really interesting quote from a British officer who went down to the trenches for the first time, I think in the Somme, and he said, my God, we sent our troops in there. Couldn't believe the sort of devastation. And I sort of think to myself, an interesting analogy with um, Lord of the Rings and with George R. R. Martin's uh, Game of Thrones here, where it makes you wonder, if the king had been at the front line and had to be charging with the troops like they used to, it makes you wonder how many of those wars would have actually taken place. Yeah. And you, you know who the last one was? Would anyone like to hazard a guess who was the last UK monarch to be at the front of the battlefield? Oh, that's going back a bit. No, I can't remember now. <laughs> how old are you, Graham? <laughs> <laughs> I don't really I, would say, like I would say in the 1500s, maybe. No, it's more recent than I think. Are you looking at? It was probably James the second, second maybe. Oh, James sorry. the second. Ooh, George the second. Ah, oh, was it that recent? Yeah, 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 yeah. that recently. And to they, be fair, they, they did offer the Kaiser during when Germany were losing World War One. They said to him, "Um, you could go in there and do one last glorious charge with your soldiers." Like, yeah, now I'm going to Switzerland, lads. See you later. <laughs> So they did. They did give him. They gave. They gave the cards. They said, "Look, man, you can we go did. out there. You know, we. You can die on. Die on your. Die on your sword. You know, you can die in glorious yeah. battle." And it's like, nah, fuck, nah. Well, that's the, that's the, 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 the Thrones and the Lord of the Rings thing. You've got King Theoden, who leads the charge to free. Is it Ministerith? Yeah, it's Ministerith. And then there's also that amazing line from John Stark, who said, "Will your men want to fight for you when they hear you wouldn't fight for them?" I find yeah. that fascinating. But we can then bring in Harry and... Did William go in? No, William didn't go in, did he? Just Harry. No, no, just Harry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why, why did I mean, William there's not... There's a lot of talk about the way they, they do those things. Because, I mean, I, I've heard plenty of anecdotal evidence that um, Andrew, yes, he was in harm's way in the Falklands, uh, but he was generally considered a liability and an absolute pain in the neck. Um, and, <laughs> and Andrew, uh, Harry was surrounded by um, a platoon of... Um, Gurkhas to make sure he was okay. So, uh, which makes him a very expensive soldier. But um, I mean, the one that I like is the um, is Napoleon the Third, who I think was one of the last um, monarchs to go into battle in Europe when he he got captured. So the Prussians went to the French and said, uh, "We've got your king." So the French declared a republic and said, "No, you haven't." So, uh, which I think is a a nice move. So, and, uh, I'm slightly paraphrasing what happened, but yeah, I think it's a good move. Um, French are pretty good at that. Yeah, I um, I was going to bring up the oil as well, which I thought was quite interesting. All the oil that was being mined or pulled out of the North Sea. Who does that belong to? Is it business? Is it the Crown? Is it the people of Britain? And there's a reason I'm bringing it up. I've got a context for another country that's just done the same. I mean, what what are people thoughts? Does that oil belong I, to the businesses that go and pull it out? It belongs to the Crown, people? as far as I know. I think if it's on if it's on British um, territory, then I believe it belongs to the Crown. But I don't. I, I know a lot of minerals do. Um, a lot of because I know the Duchy of Cornwall in Cornwall had a fight with the Crown, weirdly, um, arguing that they should have the claim on minerals within Cornwall. Um, Graham, then, just to interrupt for a second, can, can yeah. you explain to people the difference between? the state and the crown? Well, there isn't really much of a difference. So when people talk about the crown, the problem is it's used in different ways. So people talk about the crown in terms of um, the king and they talk about the crown in terms of the state. Um, and there's different aspects to that. So you talk about um, the crown estate, which is the land holdings. And then, of course, you've got the crown prosecution and you've got the crown um, uh, this, that and the other and his majesty's 
revenue and customs and all the rest of it. So broadly speaking, the crown in 1689, the uh, glorious revolution, which someone said was neither glorious nor a revolution, but it was more of a coup, really. But it, it was um, the, the big difference that that made is that it flipped the thing on its head, whereas, whereas Parliament sat at the um, behest of the king, uh, it flipped on its head to where Parliament then had control of the crown and they decided who the monarch was going to be. And it's from then on that we started moving towards a constitutional system. So Parliament, to this day, is in charge of the Crown, and the Crown is synonymous with the state and with the government. Um, and uh, as far as Charles being the Crown or being symbolic of it, he is essentially there to sit in the chair and do what he's told by the Prime Minister. Um, so there's no real distinction, which is why when people talk about Crown estate money, you know, going back to the royals, if we get rid of the monarchy, no, it doesn't, because it's state money. Um, and... It's uh, it's all state assets. So, again, but Buckingham Palace belongs to the state technically. Uh, well, Buckingham yeah. Palace definitely yes, which is why we're spending a huge fortune on fixing it. Um, and on that, you know, the, the question of who owns what, their rule of thumb is that if there's a question of who's paying for it, then it's ours, and if it's a question of who, who uses it, it's theirs. That's the that's the way they uh, approach this um, because they point blank refuse to let the palace being opened up uh, all year round. Um, because they, uh, they want to maintain that privileged access. So this ties in very nicely to a little quiz I'm going to throw at you then. Yep. As to who owns what. Yep. I, I, I was just, I've just come across Norway having absolutely hit jackpot again. I don't know if you heard about this, but they got phosphate stone that you use for solar panels, and it's doubled the world's supply. So they've gone from massive oil producers into yep. now the producer of solar panels. It's like, wow, wow, talk about a country like totally landing on its feet. Yeah. Um, but when it came to giving out the contracts to industry to go and get all their oil out, they said that oil, because it's on the seabed, belongs to the people. So they said in the contracts, 50% of the money has to go to the state or the state involvement is at 50%. So you're all going, and that's then built this huge sovereign wealth fund that they've got, which helped them out of COVID. I think it's like 1.4 yeah. trillion at the moment. So that's why I sort of threw the question out there. Because it's like chalk and cheese in terms of who's dealing with what. We do it and we give, you get, I think it's, is it 13% max? 17% goes back to the UK government from the oil that we're, we've just given out to. I think so. It's something. But I, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm not an expert in the field, but I, I understand that um, it, it is crown property, i.e., state property. But, um, and I believe, I'm right in saying that um, before the 80s, we did have. Um, control over it, but I, from memory, and I could be completely wrong on this, uh, the Thatcher major governments essentially just sort of privatized it out and sold it off and uh, let that the oil would be with the licenses, it. wouldn't it? The, the companies yes. buying the licenses, they would be yes. able to. That's I think that's how it would work. But it's I think so it's, it's, so it's, so I, I don't think it's changed the fact that it's still sitting on crown land. So I think those licenses can be negotiated back out, and it's, it's a political decision that we didn't do what Norway did. Yeah, uh, but could Well, it was Sunak that gave up more licenses, didn't he? So yeah, it would be um up to yeah. the crown. So that would make sense. It'd be crown. Yeah. Well, the the crown estate owns the seabed. That's part yes. of their yes. Yeah, that's what. Yeah. That's why they've got a huge pay rise because they put all these. They're starting to put all these wind farms. <clears> so he's generating. Well, 
Crown Estates generating income <laughs> from that. Yeah. That's why they're able to give themselves a, a pay rise whilst everyone. I know. I mean, that was outrageous. They're getting an extra. I mean, the money doesn't come from the Crown Estate. It's just pegged to it since 2011. Mm -hmm. So, um, and it's an absolutely stupid system. Um, I mean, I try and explain this to people. You could, they could have also just said, "Well, we're going to peg it to the profits of McDonald's or IKEA," for all the sense it makes, because the money is not coming from the Crown Estate; it comes from the government when they fund the government, uh, fund the monarchy. And that grant, which is only part of the funding of the monarchy, is jumping from eighty something to one hundred twenty, one hundred thirty million pounds over the next couple of years. So, a massive increase. Um, and they're already spending more than they're getting each year because they're built, they're eating into the surplus. So, um, and that's only happening, not because they've budgeted and decided they need to do that, but it's, it's happening because uh, the profits of the Crown Estate are going up. So it's absolutely no rhyme or reason why that money should go to them and not to other people. Probably all the security they need for Andrew at the moment. Where <laughs> the money's going. I've got to, we've got to ask you, actually, Graham. Yeah. What on earth was that getting arrested? And what was that like? I mean, the whole thing. Can you talk about that? I don't know if yeah. it's completed. Like, can you talk about what's happened afterwards as well? Because I believe you took the police to court I, w I couldn't ascertain whether or not that had been completed or not no it hasn't happened yet so it take, right. does take a bit of time so um yeah we're still waiting for work to go through the system um but yeah we are suing them um yeah basically when we had four months of discussions with the met police uh from january through to the coronation um two meetings with their superintendent who was the civil commander in charge of uh, um substantial part of the policing on that day lots of conversations with their liaison officers um and then when we got there it was a very hostile frosty reception and then seven o'clock in the morning we were arrested um that was six of us five staff and one of our volunteers arrested and then two hours three hours later um <clears throat> two of our volunteers were arrested because they happened to be standing next to a bag that had um two different people two different bags we, we'd equip these little teams of people to protest along the route and they had a bag with a megaphone in it. The megaphone wasn't being used because they were worried because of the atmosphere from the police. But someone just said, is that yours? They said, uh, well, yeah, I guess. And they were arrested. So eight of us all together. And we were uh, held for the right up until, you know, 10 o'clock was, I think, the earliest person to be let out. And then some of them were still in sort of one, two in the morning. So... Um, what was the treatment you got from the police? Were they were they sympathetic, or did they say, "Look, we're just doing our job," or or was the it aggressive? Police on the ground were aggressive, um, hostile, grossly unprofessional, and quite frankly, the arresting officer should, uh, officer should be sacked um, because he just wasn't interested in talking. He had no legal grounds, in my view, to stop us in the first place, or to search us, or anything else. Uh, but he did, and then they brought, it was, must have been, I mean, I don't know whether you've seen the footage, but there must have been like 50 um, police officers on that road, and there were only five of us. Um, so, yeah, that was extraordinary. The police officers in the police station, um, I mean, they've got to be a little bit careful what they say, because there's uh, microphones everywhere, um, but um, they were fairly clear, as best as they could be, that they thought their time was being wasted and we shouldn't be there. Um, and one of them said to me at one o'clock in the afternoon, he said, look, you know, it makes you feel any better. You're on the news all over the world, so, you know. Yeah, if That's anything, right. it had the opposite effect, didn't it? Yeah. It's the Streisand oh, yeah. effect that they amplified yeah. your, and, uh, your message. Well, indeed. And it, it did make me feel better, but I mean, it, not only by a margin, but it's, um, and it, yeah, I mean, it's been transformational because I mean, our, when the back sort of mid 2022, when we're doing the Jubilee campaign, 
I was the only member of staff at the time. Um, we'd had other staff in the past, but they sort of left in 2019. COVID came along, um, whatever. And 2020, our income was just over £100,000. Um, got to 2022, um, it was already growing. So 176, 2021, 100, uh, it was doing quite well in 2022. Um, but that's the kind of ballpark we were talking about. In September 2022, after the Queen died, we had an income of £70,000 that month alone, and our income jumped to 286000 Last year, 2023, we've just got the figures in, our annual income was 595000 So it's more than doubled. It's, it's gone up by sixfold since 2020, and we now have you know, four full-time staff, part-time staff. We're thinking about additional staff. We've got over £200,000 in the bank. Um, and our um, our presence is far, you know, our, our profile is far greater. And the whole protest thing has become part of the public consciousness. I mean, someone um, just happened to spot on Instagram a cartoon that someone had done, and it was the it was a, uh, you know the Lion King scene where the the um, what's the guy uh, is it Simba or whatever the yeah the, um, I think it's at the end when he's grown up and he's standing power on top of the rock and all these other animals and sort of um there's one little animal down the bottom with a yellow not my king sign um <laughs> and you know <laughs> that is it's a brilliant cartoon but that kind of <laughs> says something about how far this has kind of reached people and i think it's um and, it, and it's been, become a um shorthand for discussions about protests and arrests and whatever so liberty and amnesty just launched a um a petition with a video where they're they're going around talking to people box popping asking them about things it's quite a funny video and the first thing they're doing is saying to people, uh, they've got the luggage traps that we had, and saying, "Don't you think it's right that people should be? Uh, it should be possible to arrest people if they're carrying luggage traps?" And everybody's like, "Well, no, nonsense. No, how can you possibly be right?" You know. So that is a direct reference to our arrest. So it, it completely transformed everything, and it certainly, um, I think, has had some impact on on the debate and on the polling. It's absolutely maddening. I mean, there were people being arrested for holding blank pieces of paper. <clears throat> Yeah. yeah, I mean, that was Paul so Pound. How's this different to North Korea or China? Yeah, and it, where they they do exactly the same thing in Russia, where they've they've had blank paper and they get arrested. I was holding up a blank sign. Why are you asking for my details? You said you're going to write stuff on it. This yeah. may offend people. I said I was going to write "Not my king" okay. on a sign, but and you asked for my offend, details. It may offend someone. Who's that going to there? offend? Don't know. Someone might not be my kid. Someone but, might be offended. And you know, there, there was the animal rising people who had said, "Well, we're not going to protest on that day. We're going to have a protest workshop five miles down the road." And the police turn up and round them up and arrest them. I've I've twigged that. I it, bring up protesting in general. We talk about stop oil. I've twigged that if Martin Luther King did the exact same things, exactly the same. I can't find any evidence to show what he would have done if there was an ambulance. He probably would have told everyone to get out of the way. But apart from that, he was marching, he was blocking streets. He blocked it all the way yeah. out of the city of Birmingham in Alabama. And he walked the entire motorway. And you're going, right, so you guys are saying that you would have arrested Dr. King. Yeah, I've been told that despite the headlines, I, that um, Just Stop Oil do let ambulances through. But I mean, and they're not there for very long either. So mm -hmm. I, it's all a lot of from the government yeah. but um but it, you know but in the, london but rock, 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 rocks are blocked off whenever all sorts of things so. yeah exactly 
Yeah, there are all there, like every every week. There's some sort of event where the the roads yeah. are blocked off. Sports events, especially, they they block yeah. off roads. We went down to the state opening of parliament, as I said, uh, to protest there, and we, it, it was quite difficult to get there because the police had blocked all the streets. And I tweeted saying, "Is someone going to arrest the police for blocking all the streets?" I mean, it's just <laughs> you know, it's just ludicrous. Maybe, maybe somebody's pushing through with their you know their van because they're upset with the police blocking the streets now. No, that's not good. What about the young kid calling out Andrew? Yeah. Being arrested uh, in Scotland. I mean, the police... It's quite interesting <clears throat> when you start looking at... All was that the guy carrying eggs? Who was arrested no, for carrying guy, eggs? Your... The young kid. <clears throat> young kid the, guy, the guy in Scotland shouted um, something about him, uh, Andrew being a nonce. Because Andrew was there when they were bringing the coffin down the Royal Mile. Um, and they arrested him rather than arresting Andrew. But what um, was he arrested for? Causing public disturbance. Uh, yeah, there's some public disturbance law in Scotland that, okay. um, yeah, it's quite broad. You know, basically, if you upset people, you can get arrested. Public I mean, Andrew's upsetting him by yes, existing. Well, yeah. <laughs> but of course, that's yeah. but that that's fine. I mean, yeah. if, if you look at the entire. I mean, the stuff with the police. We could we could go back. I mean, when you look at how they've not investigated Andrew, and I've listened yeah. to the, the former police commissioner of the Met explaining what the to Nick Ferrari, what yeah. the conditions are to investigate. The person's got to be alive. The victim's got to be around. It's got to take place in the country. And you're going, well, all of that's happened. Yeah. Maxwell's alive. I mean, the victim's yeah. alive. It happened in the UK. But Channel 4 provided 14 victims, names of victims yeah. to the Met Police. Yeah. And the, the Met have gone, no, there's nothing to the find here. Then yeah. you've got this whole thing with the tapes now coming out, and you're going all the stuff that came out in January, yeah. they still don't want to investigate. And it I makes I mean, you then I... go, it makes it, I'll, I promise I'll let you in, Graham, I can see yeah, what It then makes you go, do you remember there was an ex-SAS guy? He was claiming he was on mission in Paris at the time of Diana's killing. I think his name was, um, it was N. That was the only name that we got. But the police mm. said they investigated and they found nothing. But we've never had those forms released. Yeah. And then on top of that, we've also got the Diana letter from the butler, which has been disputed. Right from the inquest's first day, I thought, what if this woman's name had been Diana Smith? And she'd written in a note which had been subsequently unveiled, my husband Charles Smith wants me to die in a car accident. And subsequently she did. In any other family or in any other country, surely Charles Smith would have been called to the witness stand at the inquest into his wife's death. Yeah, it would have been investigated, certainly. And I think this is the thing um, that they just don't want to know. And I mean, it's odd that they said that it has to happen in the UK because it doesn't have to happen in the UK. UK law, if it's a sexual offence, allows you to prosecute it, even if it's happened overseas. Um, Sex trafficking, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We um, when those documents came out a couple of weeks ago, all these court documents were released. I went to the Met Police website and I reported Andrew to the police, um, saying there is clear evidence. You know, there's no reason why you shouldn't do this. And um, it got picked up by the media, and the Met Police said, "Well, we're not going to look into it." Um, now, I um, two years ago, three years ago, maybe two and a half years ago, I forget. This story came out that uh, there was a letter released to the Sunday Times showing that 
um, Charles was, looked like he was exchanging or offering honours, knighthoods, in exchange for donations to his charity, a charity which then spent money on doing up his own home. Um, and so I reported Charles and Michael Fawcett to the police, and the police just dragged their feet for two years and then said nothing to see here. Now, they did not interview Charles either as a witness or a suspect. They just didn't want to know. They weren't going to go down that road. 2015, there was a report in the papers that someone in Windsor had witnessed Prince Andrew drive up to the big gates in Great Windsor Park, which are supposed to, they've got a, um, a sensor on them, which is supposed to open for him. They didn't open, so he rammed them with his vehicle, causing £80,000 worth of damage. They're not his gate, so it's criminal damage. I reported them to the police, and they just said, we, you know, we don't investigate accidents uh, where there's no um, harm to life or limb or whatever. So it's not an accident, it's criminal damage. So they just don't want to know. And I, I last year, uh, last week, sorry, we went up to Sandringham, um, and we turned up there on Friday with um, a box and, and sort of files of all of the Epstein documents, uh, turned up to the gate, did a big banner across the gate saying, uh, Charles, why are you hiding? Um, you know, took a photo and whatever and tweeted it. And um, and then I there's a passage there about Charles, about um, Prince Andrew taking part in orgies with underage girls. So I read that passage out through a megaphone through the gate of Sandringham. Um, <laughs> and we were done in about five minutes, got back to the car, and then the police turned up and said, well, you know, who are you, what are you doing? It's like, well, if you want to find the guy that you should be interviewing, no, he's behind the gates. You know, those are the people you should be interviewing, not us. Um, so, been, yeah, I mean, it's, it's madness. I've been attacked three times in London. Every time it's taken 30 minutes to get the yeah. money back. But they get... <laughs> it's not even that they have police security. They've got a military barracks right next door. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing for them and everyone else can go sod themselves and it's not just it's not just security that you would expect from for a head of state because i mean i know norman baker the former lib dem mp has written about this and he's a republican and he's written a book about the monarchy and whatever and he's talked about the security quite a lot because um it is used by the royals as a status symbol so the police if they which is you know, to their credit they do proper assessments of risk and privately they say well there's no reason to give security protection to andrew or to his daughters and yet they get it all because that's a a um, status symbol for them they wouldn't they don't they feel um uh down you know um diminished if they don't have police all around them and cars taking them everywhere and i was i just happened to be in uh, oxford circus just before christmas and suddenly the police bike came along with the whistle going and they they closed the whole of oxford circus so they could then uh, whisk Princess Anne around in a small convoy of three or four cars to to take her home from wherever she was. That's, that's a lot of witnesses at Pizza Express. Then you know, he's got a lot of witnesses <laughs> to say he was at Pizza Express on that day, and that well, he indeed. never sweats. They never seen yeah. him sweat. You know, there's, there's a lot of people corroborate the, the story. You know, but like. Yeah. Uh, and they've lost the files of where they all were. So. Yeah, you know, can't, can't can't be a crime if it's never investigated. I mean, the Met Police dragged their feet over Partygate as well, didn't they? They said there's nothing to investigate here. And yeah. then as soon as Sue Gray got involved, they were like, oh, all right, then we'll do something. Yeah. So it doesn't it doesn't surprise me because it's it's just the scandal of it all. And if you look at other countries, I mean, there's lots to say, uh, lots to criticise the United States for, um, but the FBI will investigate the president. Um, and and former presidents. I mean, they, there was clearly investigations going on into Nixon, and he quit. Um, and now there are investigations going on into Trump. So you know, you just don't get that same level of uh, protection in places where people expect you to be accountable.
I'm slightly there aware is, of the time. Yeah. I've got uh, just a couple of quick questions. Stephen Fry loves the monarchy. Yeah, He's intelligent. What what's that about? Have you have you encountered him? Like I don't understand. He seems like an intellectual, and he seems to love the monarchy. Does he want a lord? Lord? Jim? Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't want to be rude about Stephen Fry. I like uh, I like him to an extent, but I um I think seems like an intellectual is part of the key there. Um, I, th I think he's got this. Uh, this uh, sort of persona that has come out of his QI role, but um, but he talks a lot of nonsense when it comes to the monarchy. And I, there's, um, I don't know whether you know James Rubin, who does the Rubin Report in the States, oh, yeah. and he's kind of conservative uh, commentator. And there's an interview with him where Stephen Fry is trying to justify the monarchy. In countries that have kings and queens, which are rationally stupid, weird ideas. <laughs> are empirically freer and more socially just than countries that don't. Consider that. Look at the world now. Look at social justice, happiness, freedom and equality in the world. And you're thinking Sweden, Denmark, Norway, Benelux countries uh, uh, and uh, um, Britain, which does have very high levels of social justice, mm. and, uh, and Holland. And these countries have kings and queens. Um, and talking about things like, you know, look at these other countries which are progressive and stable, like Norway and Denmark, they're all monarchies. Well, that's not true. Um, you know, if you actually look at the, the data, you see that there's no uh, connection between having a monarchy and being stable and so on. Um, and then he talks about, you know, how there's this distinction between the, the head of state and the prime minister, and the prime minister has to bow to the head of state. I mean, it's just nonsense. And the thing is, he is again... And Roy Hattersley, the former Labour deputy leader years ago, said that one of the problems with the monarchy is it makes intelligent people say ridiculous things. And this is part of the problem is that, you know, Stephen Fry is a probably intelligent bloke, but he is a monarchist. And that comes first. And then for he has to then find justification for him because that, that, that's the world he's yeah, he's he work back from, for his completion. Yeah, he makes lots of and he doesn't want to cut himself off from that world. He doesn't want to lose the invites to the to the palace, and you know, he wants to be able to sit down with Charles and chat to him about whatever they chat about. And so he justifies it in whatever way he thinks is sounds reasonable and rational. So either it's owned by the state or it's owned yeah. by the crown estate. And so I'm going to throw it to everyone in the group, see if you can think of whether it's owned by the crown estate or or the public. First one, British Museum, Max. Is it owned by the Crown Estate or is it public? British Museum, public. Graham? I would have thought it was public. I mean, it's certainly um, funded by us. Madge? I'll go Crown Estate, just in case. Got to be different. It's publicly owned. Hey. hey. We've mentioned the seabed, and that's run by the Crown Estate. What about the Royal Botanic Gardens? Is that Crown or is that State? Graham? I honestly don't know. I'm... My guess is that it's state, but um, yeah. Match? Sure. The Crown Estate, this one's a slam dunk. It has to be. Max? I would imagine everything with royal attached to it is Crown Estate. It's publicly owned. Hmm. Boo this man. Can we just. No, this, these are <laughs> trick questions. Boo this man. Regent oh, Street, Crown Estate or publicly owned? Uh, Madge? Oh, I'm going to publicly owned. It's, it's, it's going to be the estate, isn't it? Publicly owned is my answer. Graham? Uh, Crown Estate. Max? Oh, Jesus. I think Crown Estate. It's Crown Estate still. Yeah. But you can buy it on Monopoly. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> that's no, that's nonsense. Also. You can buy it on Monopoly. That, how could the Crown own it if I can buy all three? Okay. Last three. Gold mines. Max. Crown Estate. Graham. That depends on where it is in the UK, but usually the Crown itself. 
but um, as opposed to the Crown Estate. But in Cornwall, I think the Corn the Duchy claims it. Madge, no Crown Estate. Graham's correct. Well done. <laughs> no, you didn't give us that option. Doesn't know. This doesn't make sense. <laughs> it's man. It's okay. terrible. Last two. Devil's Ass. Pete Cavan. Uh, sorry, sorry, I thought you were talking, you were talking about Nigel Farage. Sorry, gone ahead. <laughs> Madge, it's a cabin. I'll go Devil's so, Ass. Is it it's owned by the public? It's no way the royal. Yeah, it's got. It's got to be public. Graham, what is, what is it? Sorry, I don't. It's a. It's a cave. Oh, I don't know. I assume that means uh, no. Then I assume then Dutchy. But Max, uh, I imagine it's like the seabed. So I'd go with Crown Estate. Exactly correct. The Crown does own a place called the Devil's Ass. <laughs> and the final question: Dolphins in around well, UK waters. Dolphins. Is it owned by the Crown or is it owned by? Well, I guess by no one. You couldn't really have the state saying owned it. Well, maybe you could make up whatever you want, don't you? In your I didn't think these days. Uh, Madge, I want to say a- Aquaman. <laughs> I'm going Aquaman. Right. The real, the real king of the sea. Aquaman. He is. He is. He has a trident. He has a crown. It's Aquaman. I'd actually. But would you prefer the trident to the sword and the stone? Oh, I think I. Uh, a, a sword is more practical, um, but if I was going to be a king, I'd have a trident, yeah. But it'd, it'd have to be. King of the sea. Okay, Graham? Well, I think the crown has some weird claim to sea life, but I, I'm fairly certain I'm right in saying the duchy claims it in uh, off um, duchy waters. But uh, that also might be when it lands on, comes on shore, because there was an argument about a dead whale on the beach in Cornwall, and they suggested it was actually the property of the... Uh, I think the National Trust or whoever that owned the beach. Max, Crown or... I think this is a trick question. I think this is a trick question. I think this is a trick question. Nobody. It's the Crown. Wales, Sturgeon, not the politician, and Dolphins. Anywhere within three miles of UK waters? Is yeah. Probably during the time of the... When whale oil was used, I imagine it's connect, there's some connection there. 1324 is when the law came into action. All, all I'm saying not is Aquaman wears a crown, so technically I'm not wrong. <laughs> well, I'm getting one. I'm taking it. Aquaman wears a crown, right? So I think I'm good. On that note, bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you. Can we not do that again? That was that that just the levels of ignorance on show from me were 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 tremendous. How can they own Regent Street? It's a it's a monopoly. I'm not having that. I have to contact Hasbro.